last Sunday of a series of sermons we've been going through, talking about um, how life presents us with all sorts of problem-solving opportunities. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about how to respond when God seems distant and, and how to respond when people are taking shots at you and, and how to respond, uh, 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 Gabe did last week, on how to respond in a hopeless situation. In all those uh, deal, uh, examples, we see Jesus acting a certain way, and because Jesus acts the way he does, we can take certain principles from it. We've also looked real hard at this quote by Rick Warren, life's a series of problem-solving opportunities. And the problems you face will either defeat you or, or, uh, or develop you, depending on how you react to them. And I do believe this to be true. I, I think a lot of us go through life and things hit us and things smack us around, but how we respond dictates what kind of human being we grow up to become and, and who, we, who we will sooner or later uh, be. That's a big deal. You know, when you think about your life, you're, you're all the time growing into something. And you might be able to look back at decisions you made a long time ago and say, if I hadn't made that decision, my life would have spun a whole different direction. Or if I hadn't done it exactly that way, who knows where I'd be today? It's the same way you're in traffic. You see somebody beside you and then you hit a slow patch and now they're five cars ahead. Well, I should have been in that lane. If I'd have been over there, look how much further I'd have been. And then you get over in that lane and it slows down and you can't, you can't seem to get ahead. But we, we're all the time wondering. I, I think about a decision I made to, uh, to go into ministry or to pick the college I did or to, or to marry Julia. And, and had, I, had I not made those decisions, I mean, that one domino knocked over so many other dominoes and, and, and how many different things happened. And based on how I responded to those big things and a million small things, it dictates who you become and what you're supposed to be. It's not hard uh, to imagine what your life might have been like a different way. Um, you probably haven't thought about this. Did you know it's only 70 days till Christmas? For some of you, that's exciting. Um, others, it just put a shiver down your back. Oh, dear God, there's only 70 days till Christmas. Uh, there, for some of us, that means the stores will be changing, and that's exciting. And for others, it just means the stores will be changing, and it's going to be crowded and, and uh and just how you look at it, I know there's one or two people in our church who keep the decorations up or some of the decorations up all year long, uh, and they're thrilled to get the tree up as quickly as they can, and, uh, and other people don't do that. I know because uh, Christmas is coming, there's a certain diet of movies that maybe your family watches. There is for us. We have to watch a certain uh, selection of movies every year because of Christmas, and one of those is It's a Wonderful Life, and that one kind of goes to what I'm talking about. That same idea, George Bailey in that one, remember, had this picture of his life and how it was going to be, and it didn't work out that way, because at lots of different moments, he chose to do the right thing, even though it was expensive, and even though he was doing the right thing, he kind of resented it, and there's a lot of movies about that. I mean, uh, Gone with the Wind is, is mostly about that. Uh, Shawshank Redemption at some level is about that, about uh, how I had this plan for my life and now it's went this other way and either get busy living or get busy dying. Uh, Lord of the Rings at some levels about that. When Frodo's talking to Gandalf and he says, uh, uh, I wish this had never happened to me. And Gandalf says, so do all who go through such times. But that's not up to you. All you can do is decide what to do with the time you've been given. You know, we all have this different plan for our lives, and we all have this hope that our lives will work out a certain way, and yet, life's a series of problem-solving opportunities. And sometimes the opportunity will either, uh, there'll be a temptation to take the comfortable path, 
and the quiet path and maybe the path that's a little more selfish that might prosper you or to do the right thing no matter what the cost is. To hang in there when you would rather run away. To, to, to fight for something that, that honestly you feel is kind of hopeless. To, to continue to give and, and chase what other people look at as a fool's errand because it's the right thing to do. Even though it's kind of expensive to you. And even though maybe it slows you down. When I was in, in, a, in, a, in Bible college, a lot of the guys who went through Bible college with me uh, uh, aren't in ministry anymore. And some of the people who, who aren't in it anymore, there were reasons. Their health changed or something. They just couldn't do it. Or, or, or their family situation just changed in a way they couldn't do it. It wasn't their fault. There, some of the people, uh, money, they just couldn't afford it any longer. They went to a, a series of very small churches and couldn't afford, couldn't afford to do it any longer. Things changed medically or whatever, and they had to switch. Others got out of it because it was just a lot harder than they thought it would be. And at some level, every job has that. I mean, I mean, nursing has that. Carpentry has that. I had no idea it was going to be this, this challenging. I mean, sometimes jobs are just a lot harder than you thought they were going to be. But in ministry, it's particularly discouraging because often the reason why it is so hard is because the treatment that they got from other Christians. I had no idea that service would be this challenging. I had no idea it would be this difficult to try to lead and run a church. But it can be. It can be. Sometimes people can treat you uh, really bad. Sometimes they can be unsympathetic. Sometimes you can be underappreciated. And I know in those situations, it's easy to want to quit. As a Christian, it might be easy to want to quit or to give half as much. We're saved by grace. I mean, surely he's going to save us even if we don't give our very best effort. Surely he's going to be kind to us no matter what. John F. Kennedy, in one of his speeches, said that crisis in Chinese was two letters pushed together. One was danger and one was opportunity. Those two symbols together made crisis. I think that's interesting because a crisis is risky, it's dangerous, but it's also an opportunity to see what you're made of, to see if you really believe the things you say, and uh, if you're really willing to push into this thing. Most of us hope uh, to find the win-win, but some of the things that we want to do aren't going to be win-win. They're just going to be losing for us so somebody else can win. And Christ calls us to that and asks us to follow him anyway. And today when we talk about uh, the problems that we want to face, I want to focus on that idea. I had this plan for my life, Jesus, and yet you're asking for this, and I, I need to know it's worth it. I had a, I'm part of a group uh, message deal that we, we send messages back and forth. And uh, uh, we're trying this thing at our church to build beds uh, for kids who don't have beds. And we're focusing primarily on Lawrence County and, uh, and trying to really focus just on, on children in this area who don't have beds. And anytime you try to do something nice, it's possible that you could, you could get ripped off. It's possible that somebody could take advantage. But, but it seems like so far that everybody who's, who's come to us, it seems like it's genuine. It seems like we're really helping out. And for the kids in particular who did nothing to get into the situation they're in, it seems like we're really helping them out. And we're giving them a, a bed to sleep on. And, and it's been cool. It's, it's been neat to see some people in the community respond uh, to it. And it's been cool to see some people in the church respond to it with labor and, 
and with gifts and, and different things. And, and I think it's going to be a really productive ministry for us. And there's two groups of people, big groups, and there's lots of stuff going on. But some people are building the beds, and some people are organizing who we're going to give the beds to and, and how we're going to get them delivered. And, and all these things are important, and some people are jumping around to all the different jobs, and they're bouncing around. But, but there was this conversation the other night in a, in a text, and I asked permission before I before I shared it, but, but uh, look, the guy who was delivering the beds was asked on the text, did it go like you thought? Did it go like you planned? And he replied, it didn't go as I planned, but it was better. You play it out in your head how it's supposed to go, and then God steps in and says, just bless them however you can, and that's what we did. And now we have a mom that's super thankful and amazed we built these beds from scratch and we made a new connection with somebody. Hallelujah, God is good. Uh, we had a plan, but God's way was better. I think that's cool when that happens. And I don't know that a lot of Christians give God room to test that thing. We don't give God to, room to test whether his plan might be better than ours. So I want to talk about that today if I can. Uh, first, to kind of lay some groundwork. Uh, the, the story I'm going to tell is kind of towards the end of Jesus' life. And a lot of things are happening there before the cross and, and before that. And he's, he's really trying to coach the disciples up with last-minute instructions. And, and, and there was a guy who came to him uh, uh, one week who had money, and he was young, and he was important. And, and he wanted to join Jesus' band of, of, of disciples. And Jesus said, okay, you can, but you've got to give all your money away. And the guy walked away and said he wasn't interested. If that was the cost, he wasn't going to do it. And, and the disciples are a little frustrated. Jesus, this is the very kind of guy we could have used. You know, even in the bed ministry, a young, uh, rich, uh, important person, you could say, well, here, we could make, think how many beds we could make if we had a guy like that helping out. Think, how many, think what things we could get done if we had some, you know, some go-getters like that. And that's what the disciples were thinking. To Jesus, yeah, how do you let a guy like that go, Jesus? What's going on? And he says, i got to tell you the truth, fellas. It's hard for a rich guy to get into heaven. And, and all of them were like, what? He says, no, it's the truth. He says, it's hard. It's, harder for a, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get to heaven. That money's a distraction. And the disciples are like, oh, wait a minute. Because I think in their heads, they were thinking that one day when Jesus finally was whatever he was, that we were all going to be kind of important. And so, so Peter says something about it. He says, wait a minute, we've left everything to follow you. What are we going to get out of this? That's the tone of the question. And Jesus says, uh, he says, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his throne, you're going to sit on 12 thrones and help me judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left uh, houses or, or brothers or sisters or father, mother, wife, children, uh, fly, fields for my sake, they're going to get 100 times as much. And they'll also inherit eternal life. But a lot of people who are first place here are going to be last. And a lot of people who are last place here are going to be first. And, 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 um, and he just kind of leaves it there. And the disciples mull that over. They don't really answer him. They just think about it. You know, Jesus says, it's going to cost you everything to follow me. And you just got to trust that I'm telling the truth. And you're going to get a lot back. And when he says a hundred times back, I think some of that pays off in this life. You're, you're going to get a lot back, but it may not pay off like you want. And you may not get way ahead because of it. And I think preachers who say that you will are lying. I think when people present it like, if you join after Christ, everything's going to start getting easier. I don't think that's how Jesus presents it. He seems to present it different, that if you want to follow after him, it just demands trust. You follow me because I'm telling you the right things to do, and I'm telling you which way to go, and, and as long as you hang on real tight to me, we'll get there. 
And you'll be glad you stayed with me, but you're going to have to trust me. And it, that's, just, that's just so hard to do. That's just so hard to do. I, I, you see it with a kid. You know, you, you, you tell a kid, hey, come here. Why, they say. Because I told you to. <laughs> and they need more information than that. And I used to, this would make me so mad when my dad would say, you do it because I told you to. And then as a, as a dad, I start doing that. You, you do it because I told you to. And, uh, and, 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 and I don't want to have to explain all my motives. And Jesus doesn't want to have to explain all his motives. He just, just trust me. Well, later, later, just a, a day or so later, uh, the mother of Zebedee's sons, and this is the main thing I wanted to talk about. She, she comes up to Jesus. Now, the, the, if you read the very end of Matthew and the very end of Mark and the very end of John, when it talks about the ladies who went to the tomb to get Jesus' body ready, the, 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 the women who went to the tomb on, on Easter morning, it mentions uh, Zebedee's uh, wife in one of those stories, Matthew, Mark, John. In another one, it doesn't mention Zebedee's wife, but it says a lady named Salome went with them. So we think Salome was the name of Zebedee's wife, uh, James and John's mother. We think, and then in another place, it says Mary's sister went with them. So it's possible that this woman here, the mother of Zebedee's sons, is, is all those things. Her name is Salome, and she's Mary's sister, which would make her Jesus' aunt. It means James and John were cousins. I, I kind of think that probably is what it means. Uh, it's not talked about very often. We don't know for sure if that's what it is, but I, but I, I think it's a good guess. And if it is that, then this woman's somebody Jesus has known all his life. You, you have aunts that you've known. And, and not only was she an aunt, but she, she quickly got in line with what Jesus was doing. She followed him around. She was part of, of his whole deal and really believed in him. If you ever had an aunt or an uncle who was just like one of those cool aunts or uncles who supported you no matter what, that's kind of what's going on here. And, and so the mother of Zebedee's sons comes to Jesus and she, she kneels down. And she says, I've got a favor to ask of you. And, and he says, what do you want? He says, well, grant that these two sons of mine can sit at your right and your left and at your kingdom. And right and left was the place of most honor, right? And so when we get our 12 thrones, these guys say, we'd like the two best thrones of the 12 thrones. We'd like to have the best thrones. And probably not thinking of heaven so much as earth. You know, when you finally establish the Jesus administration, then we want my, my boys to be the, the right and left hand guys, the most important guys. And, and Jesus says to her, you don't know what you're asking. He said, you don't know what you're asking. He says, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Oh, we can do it. We can do it, they said. And they didn't know what they were asking. I mean, you, you know, I think they were hoping for a soldier's bravery. You know, yeah, we'll go into battle for you, Jesus, and one day we'll be, we'll be celebrated in, 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 uh, in songs and movies. But, but, but it's not like that. I mean, we always hope for the win-win, but sometimes it's not a win-win. Sometimes you've got to lose so people can win. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. He says, if you want to drink my cup, you're going to have to give everything away. We can do it. Oh, he says, he says, well, you'll do it. He says, you'll drink from my cup, but to sit at my right and my left, those aren't things for me to decide. Those belong to God. And He'll decide who gets to sit there. And the bigger gist of all this thing is not how much Jesus knows against how much God knows. That's not the big point that he's making here. It's more, you shouldn't worry about this kind of stuff. This is, this is silly for you to think about this. Don't, don't let your head go dwell on these kinds of things. And if I had time, I could do a whole other sermon just on this. But, but let me quickly say, his point, when, when your whole focus is on somebody else, and what they have, and what they're about, and what they do, then, then it affects you positively and negatively, both for the bad. 
on, on, the, on the positive end, I mean, you, you can't enjoy your good stuff. Because all the time you see what they have, it's more than you. If, if you're the kind of person who reads Facebook and Instagram and gets kind of depressed because everybody looks better than you and having more fun than you and they're doing more, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a symptom of this. I mean, when you see their life and what they have and you think, man, if I had that, well, I'd be happy. Well, you wouldn't. And I, and I can say that confidently because they're not happy all the time. I saw, I saw uh, following sports at one of the playoff baseball games this week. Kim Kardashian went to the game, and the crowd booed her for two minutes. Uh, even Kim Kardashian gets booed every once in a while for, for, for long minutes. And you say, well, I bet she didn't care. I bet she did. I bet she did. I bet it ticked her off quite a bit. I bet it bothered her. I, I, bet, I bet she has to deal with all the same things that you have to deal with. She has more money, and she's more famous. But that doesn't solve you all the problems. It solves some problems, but it creates other ones. You probably have never been booed at a baseball game for two minutes. <laughs> when all your focus is on them, well, you miss all the good stuff you have. All your focus is on what you don't have. But it works the other way, too. I mean, when all your focus is on them, then you can't really deal with your bad either. Uh, one of my, my first church I worked at, there was a guy on the leadership with us, and and he kind of he betrayed a confidence and, and kind of turned on me in a meeting and, 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 and stayed turned on me for a long time. And I didn't find out for years what it was about. It had nothing to do with, with me. But I didn't know it at the time. I was just 22, 23 years old. And, and, and it was making me mean and quiet and sarcastic all the time. And one of my friends, who I'm accountable with, came to me and said, Hey, Jeff, man, you're mean and quiet and sarcastic all the time. What's, what's going on? Well, I'm doing it because of what he did. And I pointed to, to the other guy and said, Because he's doing this and this and this. I mean, you'd be mean and quiet and sarcastic too if all that was going on. He said, Man, I don't think you can focus on him because you can't control him. All you can control is you. And I remember thinking how colossally unfair that was. And again, tried to explain to my friend, but don't you see what he's doing? See, uh, Carl, Jung, uh, Carl Jung was a, it's, it's spelled Jung, but it's pronounced Jung. Carl Jung was a, a leader with psychotherapy and, and a, a contemporary of Freud. He said, I can help anybody except for the one who blames others. Because if my focus is just on them... And what they did, then I can't deal with my negative either. I can't enjoy my good and I can't, I can't fix my bad. If my focus is on everybody else, then I'm all the time living this false reality. And it really is kind of a sad thing. And, and God's given you a wonderful life. And I'm not saying it's a life free from problems. But God's been very good to you, to me, to us. And, it, and we don't want to ever lose sight of that. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You're thinking about the wrong things here. Well, when the other uh, disciples, when they heard about this conversation, they're ticked off about it. And probably not ticked off because, oh, how dare you, but ticked off more because they were trying to get ahead of them. And these were the seats that they wanted, the other ten. And so Jesus calls all of them together. And he says, you know how the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And Gentiles here just means non-religious, the people who don't believe in God, the godless people. You know how they lorded over one another? And their high officials exercise authority. And, and, and we see this, by the way. You, 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 see, it, you see it all the time. You, you, you give somebody just a little bit of power and it goes right to their heads. Whether it's the person at the restaurant who's taken your names. When will we be seated? Soon. 
you know, okay, great. And you, you see it, right? It's all the time. Give somebody a little bit of authority, a little bit of power, and they think that they're Genghis Khan. And, 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 and it happens. And, it's what, and by the way, you do it too. It's just what we do. It's, it's a, and he says, you know how the lords of the Gentiles do? But not, but not you. They're all the time worried about making this impression and looking important, but not, but not you, he says. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave, just as the Son of Man, meaning himself, just as me, Jesus, I did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. All this is important. Let's, let's think about it for a second. The word for servant is the word we get deacon from, uh, diaconus, and it, it's, uh, it means janitor. It means uh, uh, willing to do uh, manual labor. It's uh, usually often was paid usually rewarded somehow. It, it, it's, a, it's the lowest rung stuff, but it's, it's still somewhat voluntary. This word for slave in this thing is the word doulos. That's not voluntary. A slave has no option in it. He just does it because he's a slave. He doesn't get to think about it. He says, do it. And Jesus says, if, if you want to be first with me, this is the path. Now, now, it should be mentioned, a lot of people at this point would say, have no interest in being first then. You know, uh, top top 10,000 is fine with me, Jesus, or top uh, million, you know, as long as I cross the line into saved, that's good enough. I don't need to do anything else besides that. And for those of you who feel like that, I really don't have much else uh, to say about it other than Jesus seems to be encouraging more. If you really want to get to the, 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 the best part of the pool, you're going to have to jump in the deep end here. And the deep end, as far as Jesus is concerned, is giving the most. It's not hanging on tightly to yourself, but it's, 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 it's allowing yourself to serve. It's allowing yourself to give. It's allowing yourself to sometimes get taken advantage of. Sometimes have people treat you wrong. If, if you really want to go to where he's at, where Jesus is at, this is what's required. And if you have any ambition at all spiritually, like I don't just want to be a Christian, but I want to, be, I want, I want to know it. I mean, I, 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 I don't just want to think that it's true. I want to feel that it's true. I want my whole life to be about this thing. For, for those people, this is the path. This is the way you have to go. It's about giving more. And I know a person can say, well, I'll burn out. I, won't, I don't have enough energy. I, I give so much already. And it's not even so much about the hours, though it is. And it's not so much about the dollars, though it is. It's about your heart, your mindset. I'm not primarily here for me. These are the guys that we... We write songs about. These are the guys we make movies about. These are the guys we build statues for. And, and at the moment, they were just as scared as you'd be. At the moment, they were just as tempted to run as you would be. But they stayed in there. And they did the right thing. And, and it's a heroic life. And you only get one. And when they're talking about you on your last day, these are the kinds of things you want them to say. Man, he would give anything for his friends. He would give anything for his family. Man, this is somebody who looked out for people. And Jesus says, when you do these things, you're just walking the path that I'm walking. Because I'm giving my life away for everything. Think just for a moment. I know not everybody, not everybody 100% is, is, is tied in with with who Jesus is and what Jesus is, but, 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 but think here what a big deal that is, right? 
I mean, Jesus, who could demand everything at every moment, shows grace. Jesus, who could demand everything at every moment, answers your prayers. Even when you pray for the millionth time to forgive you for that one sin that you can't seem to shake, he still listens. He still responds. He will not abandon you. And one day, he's going to catch you and take you to the other side. He has paid his life as a ransom for yours. Sometimes when we use the phrase servant today, it doesn't mean uh, what Jesus means. Uh, I saw on the news not too long ago uh, one of our United States senators, not an Indiana senator, uh, but a United States senator, and, uh, and he was uh, getting interviewed and he said, I've been in public service for, I forget, 40 years, something like that. I've been in public service. And when he said it like that, it, the phrase is intended the way you say it to make people say, oh man, you have given so much. Now, even a very small study into the, uh, into, uh, on the internet there will tell you this guy's wealth has went from 100,000 to several million since he's been in public service. Even a very small search will tell you that in every possible way, this guy is much more important, much more prestigious, much more wealthy than he ever was before. That this has made him an, a, a significant dude but he believes he's a public servant, and, and that's not what Jesus is calling for. Um, you go to any business, any restaurant, any hotel, they will say service is their number one aim, but it's not always true. It's just not always true. And sometimes they'll say it, but what they really mean is, well, I mean, there's a limit. We mean it, but there's a limit to how far we're going to go. But Jesus says, with me, there's no limit. Think about how big a deal this is. I mean... Again, with, with your, <laughs> if he really is, if the story's really true and he really is the king of everything, that he just takes time for us, that he just listens to us, that he responds to our worship, that he responds to our prayers, that he responds to our sin. I mean, how long would you put up with stuff? Somebody cuts me off in traffic and I'm mad about it for 20 miles. Somebody, somebody, uh, 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 at the store the other day, somebody had 20 items in the 15 item or less deal, and I'm muttering under my breath, 16, 17, as they're going across the deal. I don't know if she heard me or not, but I'm just ticked off about it. I'm mad about it walking to the car. I mean, these are microaggressions, and I can just get completely bent out of shape about it. But, but Jesus, we sin against I heard this story. You've probably heard it before. It's, it's a preacher story. I don't know if it's true. I, I think it's true, but I don't know that it is. But I've heard it several different times. It's about a, a priest in the Philippines. And, and a lady in the church there has told her, the people, the church and the community, that she sees Jesus every night. She has a vision of Jesus and talks to him every night. And, uh, and it's starting to cause kind of a stir. And she's starting to become kind of a local celebrity. People want to talk to her about this thing. And the priest is suspicious. He says, well, he's never came to me and spoke at night like that. She says, well, I don't know about that, but he speaks to me. And she, so the priest says, well, then ask him next time you talk to Jesus about that sin that I, the priest, that the priest committed when I was in seminary. Because there was this thing that he did when he was in seminary, and nobody really knew about it except for him. But it was very embarrassing. And it made him wonder if he'd ever be the kind of person who could be a leader in God's church. And it made him wonder. And he had apologized for it for years. 
It was one of the first things he prayed about whenever he prayed. He's always felt guilty about it, but he's never told a soul. And so he said, well, ask him about that. See if he can tell you what that sin was, and that's how we'll know that, that you really are seeing Jesus. And she said, okay, I'll do it. So a couple of days later, he sees her, and he says to her, uh, did you see Jesus the other night? She says, I did. And did you ask him about that priest, about that, that priest, about the sin I committed? And she said, I did. And what did he say? What did he say about that? And when you asked him, what was the sin? What did he say? And she said, Jesus said, I don't remember. And I, I don't know if it's real or not. But I think it does illustrate something about God. Because when you ask him to forgive you, he does. He takes your sin as far as east is from west and he forgets all about it. Because he loves you. And he didn't respond to you at all like you'd respond to him. And your life, when you make this decision to really give it to him, all of it, there may be moments of regret. There may be moments where you say, well, wouldn't I have been happier doing this other thing? But it's not true. And just like uh, George Bailey or Frodo Baggins or any number of Christians through the years, you're going to find out that God's ways really are the best ways. And his way to live really is the best way to live. And that the, way, the path to, to getting everything you ever wanted is down. I'm going to pray with you. And uh, I want to challenge you as we end our service, if any of you need to pray about anything, there's something about prayer all by itself that is humbling, right? Uh, to go to someone else and say, hey, would you pray for me? That's humbling. But there's power in being humbled. And so I want to encourage any of you that need to pray about anything today or if you need to get yourself right with God to take advantage of this moment. And the band can come up while I'm praying. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you.